My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. It hasn't been easy for me, but I'm, I'm eking that out more and more. And as I do, invariably, it comes back to me about freedom and just that sense of I'm a free man, you're a free man. We have, you know, we've, all of us are free human beings, but we've got to live that way and sort of throw off the shackles that kind of hold us back. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we continue the conversation with the owner of prop developer, David Kelly. He shares his property developing journey including overcoming challenges such as having a stormwater manhole in the middle of a lounge room. As well as this, Kelly will explain the importance of experience and his passion behind helping others. In our previous episode with Kelly, we explored his personal journey. Now, let's explore his property development journey starting with the inspiration behind it. I met up here in in Queensland on the Gold Coast two uh, guys who were colleagues of mine at university. They were from Swinburne University, same as me, but they were a year ahead of me, Peter and Stuart. And great, both great guys and anyway, we, we discovered, I kind of just re-met them here. I'd been here on the Gold Coast for about a year. And we, we met and then we started, you know, catching up, hanging out. We realized that we had three, do- I had three daughters, Peter had three daughters, Stuart had a, a son and a daughter. And one of our daughters, um, each of us, they were all in the same year at school, at the same school. So all those similarities and and these guys were very experienced in property development. They'd worked for listed companies and and... Anyway, we started to think and talk about the idea of doing projects together, property development, management projects and things like that, and even development projects. So that's what we started doing. And, um, you know, it was uh, a great experience uh, and we, we got things underway. We started doing some of these Toyota Australia projects. Um, essentially, Stuart knew one of the operators of a Toyota dealership that was getting a big revamp or a new building being built, etc., and just because of that relationship, we started um, uh, discussing with him the idea of managing that project for him. So that went on for, that was a project that lasted a couple of years. And that really got me, and that's when I built my uh, relationship with Toyota Australia. Uh, the, the facilities manager there was a great guy and he just appreciated the how we managed, managed that project. And then he got us in to look at different other problems they had, other projects they had. They would then refer us on to, 
you know, fa- go on little fact-finding missions and sort out problems for them and also then carry out the development management for other dealership projects. Working with Toyota Australia led Kelly to new opportunities. That then led on to building audits where they were having uh, dealers with a whole arrangement of different sort of energy usage problems. And I worked with some other consultants and we worked out how to do an audit on one of their facilities and then come up with the most efficient uh, way in which to run the facility. Uh, and, and from a cost point of view and also just efficiency. You know, I rewrote some of the standards for Toyota in their uh, energy efficiency um, manual that they use for their developments and, and for their um, their stakeholders. So there was all those sorts of experiences came in as well. And so it blew out to quite a portfolio of things we did with Toyota Australia. And they were just, um, it was just good working with a tier one company like that, um, professional and uh, you could you could get well paid, you know, properly paid for your services. And it was you know, great experience and just more experiences about developing the processes involved in property development. And Stuart and Peter both were had done small developments themselves. They both moved on to do pretty large developments. And I did the same thing. I went off and I did projects of my own, land subdivisions, built a number of houses for my family. I had the contracting business that I did, uh, you know, a thousand projects. And I would certify all those projects as an engineer um, and just had the building knowledge to understand how those projects, you know, how you would manage them and, and get them done efficiently. And so it was a whole whole different uh, lot of experiences in at, at different levels, if you like, you know, from trade work up to development management and then developments developments where you're putting your own money at risk and getting the uh, reaping the rewards. You know, both Stuart and Peter are, are guys, you know, smart guys uh, who have done significant things and projects, some really interesting stuff, but, um, you know, just great to have colleagues like that on the journey to learn from and contribute to and, you know, good days. So I found that um, development was where I wanted to be. I didn't, never minded risking my own money on a project. Um, the, the other part of that equation is, of course, is that when you're the developer, you are may, you're probably the last one to get fed, you know, and everything's got to go right for there to be some left for you to get fed on or, you know, when I say fed, you're getting the profit. And that was something that I was always comfortable with and uh, a lot of those processes come down to if you can be confident that you're, you've taken into account everything that might happen from a financial point of view. And if you haven't, have you got any reserves? And if you haven't, have you got any creativity to be able to get yourself out of trouble? And I felt that I always could back myself in projects and um, you know, was able to uh, you know, do, do projects without getting hurt. Throughout his time developing, Kelly has been involved in both residential and commercial spaces. His background in engineering proves to be valuable in both scenarios. If I talk about the foundation engineering business, that was across all sectors, infrastructure projects, um, residential projects, small and large, and commercial projects, um, factories, uh, just re- pretty much anything. We, we also came up with some pretty unique solutions. Um, I was driving back from Brisbane, Brisbane to the Gold Coast on Sunday with a mate and uh, near Mount Cravac Shopping Centre, there's a, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but there's a big cutting there that's probably about eight metres tall. And I remember uh, this is back when I had the, the screw piling business, we were getting approached by main roads because they had a problem there. They had a big cut as they extended the, or widened the motorway. They had a vertical cut and the geology in that particular area 
meant that there was the land was wanting to slip. It was an eight metre cut, so it was a very deep cut for a start. And they had a problem with uh, needing to nail back or soil nail back the um, and be, the uh, embankment itself. And the normal technologies they'd use were going to be time uh, prohibitive. And so they came to us and came to me and uh, we started exploring the idea of using screw poles. And anyway, we did that project. It was about a million dollar project back then. And we worked night shift uh, and really stabilised this embankment. And um, the reason I noticed it as I was driving back from Brisbane is that they're now building, you know, four or five storey, the, the homes there have been demolished and they're building uh, infill subdivision, uh, infill uh, multi-level um, construction work. So, uh, you know, that was infrastructure work like that. I did that same sort of project in New Zealand and I talked about the one in um, China as well. So I found that I found that the, that technology had great application and I hope to take that further and really build an international business out of it. And I just, I think personally, I just didn't have the horsepower to work out how to do that at the time. And, um, but anyway, I had great experiences along the way. In terms of my own experience as a developer, you know, I've done everything. I've, I mean, I've built houses with my own hands um, as a carpenter and then uh, built, you know, different houses as we graduated, you know, built a luxury home here at Nobby Beach, uh, which I sold a few years ago. And then I, um, I did land subdivisions. I did small ones. Um, as I said, my colleagues, Peter and Stuart, have both done, you know, big, big projects, you know, 100, 200 lots where they've had their own money in them and their own risk, this sort of stuff. Um, but really, a lot of those skills uh, are transferable. Once you know how to run a small project, you arguably you can run a bigger project. It's just everything gets bigger. The number get, numbers get bigger. The time gets bigger. Um, you might, you might. The problems could also get bigger, as well. While developing properties, it is inevitable to come across some challenges. Kelly shares one of his most memorable teaching moments. So I started a project, eleven townhouses in Annerley in Brisbane, um, with j- just my own money in that, and then the bank money. So, and I started that in uh, 2016 and I remember, and so I did this project, then I moved overseas and, and did, um, went to America. I did, started to get into property development there as well and got caught by, the, um, by this coronavirus pandemic thing two years ago. So prior to that, my last project in Brisbane was this one. It was about a $7 million project. I'd borrowed $4 million from the bank and it was by far and away the largest project I'd done. And... I went through the commercial funding route, which was difficult then. It's probably much, much more difficult now after the Banking Royal Commission. But I borrowed the four million bucks, got approved. So we got started. And so much deliberation, a lot of time. And, um, you know, we demolished two houses. And I wasn't the builder on this job. The bank wouldn't let me be the builder. I'd be too much invested there. So I, I got an external builder. Anyway, I remember getting a call. It was in March or maybe April, it was stinking hot up here and get a call from the foreman on the job saying, Dave, we've got a real problem here, you need to come up to Brisbane. And so I think, God, I'd already been up like two days earlier and I thought, oh, really? So anyway, get in my car, drive up there and I knew knew what they were doing. I had a camera on site so I could see photographs every day of what was going on and I thought, I can't imagine what's going on. Well, you know, how it would require me dropping everything and going up there. Stinking hot. You get up there, and I see that we had a couple of machines on site which were stopped. Had about seven or eight guys just standing around, obviously waiting for me to come in and understand what's going on to give some direction. And you know, I I thought 
as I walked up there, I thought, I'm the man. Like I, I knew that whatever the problem was, was able was just a problem that needed a solution. And and I thought, oh, here we go. This is great. Let's work it out and hopefully do it for the least cost possible. When Kelly walked onto the site, he came across a very unusual problem. What had happened was they, as they cut the pads for the second townhouse, we had six down one side, five down the other. And the second townhouse, they were cutting the pad and they come across a stormwater manhole, which when they overlaid it on the plan, it was coming up through the lounge room of that particular unit, the ground floor. And so that was a problem because this was council infrastructure that council had never picked up on their plan. The surveyors couldn't pick it up because it was covered in dirt and it was underneath the old house that was there. But I, I looked and I thought, gee, that, that, that's going to be a problem because somehow we've got to convince council, well, this is your infrastructure and now your infrastructure, we've designed our project and your infrastructure is in the wrong place. What are we? And I just knew it was going to be time and time is money when you've got projects going. So anyway, but I remember rocking up to the site and as I said, it was hot as hell and they explained the situation to me and I just thought, oh man, I'd kill for an ice cream right now. I just, that's all I could think of. And because it wasn't so much, like I, I was, I, I think I just had by that stage, I thought, well, it might be a bit painful, but I've got, got contingency there in my fund to cover any reasonable amount of extra costs. And so it wasn't a big deal break. And I got all, the, you know, all these guys standing around, like probably wanting to see me melt, not only melt in the heat, but melt in the, the pressure of that, in, that situation. And I just thought, oh man, you know, a chalk wedge or a magnum. Remaining calm allowed for Kelly and his team to come up with a good solution. No, we didn't move it. We, we redesigned that apartment slightly. And so what it, it was coming up in the, I th- probably said before it was in the middle of the lounge room. It turned out not the middle. It was on the side of a wall and on the other side of the wall was a garage. So we, we shrunk that room a little bit, which made it actually come up through the garage itself. So I then had to make that, um, change that garage design so that it was more like a carport, an enclosed carport so that council could get access to it, you know, if it was ever blocked in the future. Um, it was still still an operating um, sewer, um, stormwater. Uh, so, you know, we just reduced the, had to bring it up in heights, but we re- reduced it so the manhole cover was a uh, smaller size and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, we got around it that way. Although this project had its challenges, finishing it was one of Kelly's biggest successes. Uh, look, I think finishing that project was a buzz. It was definitely uh, an accomplishment to finish that. Uh, so there's other, some other challenging personal circumstances happening at that time, but, you know, uh, was able to just remain focused. And um, so that was an accomplishment and that was cool. And what I did, actually, I developed, I, I designed that whole project around keeping two of those townhouses and then running them as a rooming house. So uh, I've got two townhouses there, their four bed, their studio apartment on the ground floor and then living, so, and that's self-contained. Um, they're separately metered, um, so that those people live there, and they are just independent to the rest of the townhouse. On level two is the the it's a standard like three story design, 
level two or level one, first level up is the living kitchen area. And then above that, you've got three bedrooms. So one of which is ensuited. So you have a situation where I've got three tenants at the top and then I've got a studio apartment at the bottom and I own two of these. So I've got, in other words, I've got eight separate tenancies. And what they do, they give me about a, I get about a 60% greater rent on that project than I would if it was a standard three bedroom townhouse. Because all the other townhouses in that development are three bedrooms. So I've got three bedroom plus a studio. And because I'm renting by the room, I'm getting much, you know, 60% more rent. So that makes it a very, you know, it was all, it was conceived like that. It was a lot of hurdles to get there, but uh, it was very successful in that regard. As well as this, Kelly has another success story, but this one involves a project in America. The other thing I think I would, I would say, the other thing I would say is that when I, I then went to, I went and lived in America in 2018 and I started, I had to get a working permit there, um, which I did and I worked for an electrical contractor, which wasn't a great deal. Uh, that wasn't a great uh, situation to be in because I was just, you know, I knew, I, I was, running the projects I was running before that. But then the next gig I got was um, under my own company, I was building a $5 million beach house in Manhattan Beach in Los Angeles. And I remember rocking up to site on the first day thinking feet and inches. Holy hell, I'm not even, you know, like I, I grew up, I grew up when at the tail end of the Imperial unit um, phase, you know, when it was getting phased out. but. I knew feet and inches. My dad would always talk in terms of feet and inches, but I was a kid, you know, a decimal kid. So and I knew that one inch was 25.4 millimeters. But when you've got a building, a set of building plans, and you've got 104 foot, two and a half inches, three and three eighths, and you're having to convert that and get a feeling for it, it was, and that was on day one. And I was thinking, oh, gee, I'm going to have to wing it here until I really get a get a hold of this and. Um, I remember, um, you know, that, that, and that project gets set out by a surveyor and all that, so there's no risk to me. But, you know, you've got to look like you know what you're doing when you're doing these things. And I remember thinking that as I got into it, I realised the empirical system is so nuts. It's not, not easy to work with. People are used to it, but, and, and like, that's one of the bastions that Americans have is the imperial unit system. Metric makes far more sense, you know, meters and, and liters versus inches and gallons, but the Americans stick to it. Um, and I remember getting to the, the, the third level on this, and we, we had a maximum height on this project. You couldn't build any higher. If you were one inch higher, the council would come back and tell you to rip down the roof or lower it, whatever. And we got to the last, the top floor, and I realized we need to get a level on that floor to then be able to build the, so that we know when we've pitched the roof that the roof is the maximum height and no greater. make sure there are no complications, a surveyor checked the height. However, Kelly was not on site at the time which filled him with some doubt. I came back the next day and I said, have you done the level? Yeah, I put a level right on the floor in spray paint. I go and check it out and it's 109.32 feet. And I'm saying 109.32. Like, why wouldn't it be 109 foot? Yeah, this is above sea level. 109 foot. Um, six inches and five eighths of an inch, or something like that. Because, but 109.32 feet is like a, a hybrid of decimal and imperial, <clears throat> and it made no sense to me. And I, I was a bit embarrassed, and I, I thought, I'm going to get caught out here because obviously there's a language here that 
the, the surveyor works in that I don't even know. I'm going to make a goose of myself if I go in. So I went to the carpenter and I said, oh, mate, you know, they put the level over there. You know, what are you, you right to work with that? And he looked at it, the carpenter, like he's been doing this work all his life. And he says, what in the hell does that mean? <laughs> so I, I realized I wasn't the only one. And then I kind of worked out what it was. So I, I worked. I worked that 0.32 or whatever it was, the fraction, the part of the, the reading back to what it was in feet and inches. And I, I went to the surveyor and said, hey, you've written this level, but do you mean this? And he said, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. I said, why do you do that? And he said, well, because the imperial system sucks. It's too hard to work with. While in America, Kelly had a great time filled with exciting opportunities. I met lots of fantastic people, a lot of great experiences, a pretty tough environment, not as friendly, sorry, not as... Commercially, everyone's very clear in the big centers like Los Angeles and New York, like it's commerce and everything uh, can feel like it's all transactional. Now, I think Aussies are a bit more laid back, but I love the American go, 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 go and entrepreneurial spirit. You know, there's not that same, uh, uh, what do you call it, Th- uh, the poppy, tall poppy syndrome that we have here. And I love those aspects about America. Um I really stayed there until the financial crisis. This building I was doing, the $5 million beach house, was coming to an end. And unfortunately, the financial crisis, uh, uh, sorry, the um, pandemic started in March of 2020. And it was about this day, I think it was on the 26th of, uh, of, of March of 2020, or 2020, 2020, when I came back to Australia. So I, and things, when the, when the pandemic hit LA, it just went to a pretty toxic environment, very fear. Everyone was fearful. And I just decided to pack up and uh, come back to Australia um, for a bit. And so I felt that my time in America kind of got caught short and, and finished up early. Um, still got a car and other reasons to go back there, friends and things. And I may go back, but um, at the moment I'm just uh, happy to be in Australia. It's relatively uh, – it's, it's easy going and you know, living here on the Gold Coast is a great place to live. It's a you know very – amenable atmosphere and um, weather for my uh, my lifestyle. And, uh, yeah, there's a big world, though. I moved, you know, from then I I then did a, I did a, a lap of the world, Tyrone, during the pandemic. I, I literally travelled around the world and took photographs of myself on the subway in New York, you know, selfie like this with no one for three carriages that way and no one for three carriages that way. And my friends who I was, I was staying with, they said, are you crazy going on the subway? I said, well, the good thing is there's no one else on the subway. So that was a moment in time. Kelly has developed a lot of properties, but he has only decided to hold on to a small amount. I'm only holding two in Brisbane. Uh, as I said, I sold up some assets before I moved to America. Um, so, And then I, when it, whilst in America, uh, you know, it's interesting because I met some really interesting people and great opportunities and property is part of the la- the investing landscape for sure in America. I know some Australians who have gone there and really done extremely well, um, like incredibly well in developing big, big portfolios and as managers and, and lead leading, um, you know, sponsors, they call it for some of these um, big multifamily uh, developments and things. But there's also a lot of other investment opportunities, uh, direct investment into the stock market, um, and also other emerging companies. And I took the opportunity to invest a chunk of money over about four or five different uh, companies, which uh, really are technology companies. 
uh, pre-IPO. Uh, some of them, we have one of those companies. So at, at a founder level, so a very small part of what I think my assessment would be that it's these are big opportunities. And so, yeah, property in Australia is very, Australia is very property centric, as you know. Everyone talks about property and lives and breathes it. And it is in this country, it's absolutely critical to be part of it, or else you'd be, uh, you know, be, the inflation would be throttling you if you weren't, unfortunately. Um, but I'm also pretty happy with the risks I've taken in terms of some other investments and believe that they're going to, um, you know, in a year or two, really, I think I'm in the right, with the right group of people in the right sectors, and uh, it's an exciting ride. Coming up after the break, we'll hear about the resources that Kelly used. There was different courses being launched at the time about learning about feasibilities. He shares how opportunities can come from awful situations. One week later, the Brisbane floods occurred and I get a call from this builder. We'll learn what he would say to himself 10 years ago. I would have said, get the best experience you can. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey, let's be real. Deals that can yield 20 to 30% per annum do exist. Don't believe me? Well, here's a story about property development I invested in Victoria. This developer had the project fully funded beforehand, but he and his family suffered a loss, a circumstance that led him to be unable to proceed with the development. So, I stepped in and in two weeks, we funded the shortfall, allowing for the development to continue. Five months later, the development was refinanced and we received our funds back with interest. Yes, there are amazing opportunities in the property market like this one. So, do you want to get a better return with low risk on your money? Then register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. At the beginning of his property development journey, Kelly learned a lot from different courses as well as simply doing things. But a lot of that was just, you know, I did think there was different courses being launched at the time about learning about feasibilities. You know, I wrote my own feasibility program. I then started teaching feasibilities and a small property development course that I created. And I, I you know, because my life now is about, it's about freedom and it's about contribution. And that's, I look for those opportunities to be able to contribute to others in whatever way that is. Uh, and some of it's professionally through property development, education and things like that. And I, I guess that I, I've done many different courses over the years and each one of them can help um, give you something that you weren't familiar with before. It might be marketing. You know, market as an engineer and a, a pretty, um, uh, you know, r- grassroots type of guy, I've always found that marketing I just had no skills in that area. And now I'm getting, I'm accumulating some of those skills. Um, and I'll, I'll give you an example. Like um, I wrote a book, I, I was involved in the Brisbane floods in 2011. And I did, I'd, I'd met, I wanted to get into that industry because I realized what great cash flow it is. And I met, I, I found a insurance builder and I started interviewing a few of these guys and said, hey, listen, I'm here, I'm, I'm registered builder. Um, I'm keen to get into this field if, if the opportunity arises. And I met a guy in Melbourne in the Christmas of 2010, 2011, 
friend of mine, a loss adjuster, introduced me to him. And he said, Dave, really good to meet you, all that. But you know, you're in Queensland and I'm down here. And you know, what's ever gonna happen in, what's ever gonna need me to go up to Brisbane as a builder? And I thought, no, fair, fair point. About, you know, one week later, the Brisbane floods occurred. And I get a call from this builder. He says, hey, we've been asked by Suncorp to head up to Brisbane. Would you run the program for us? And I, I said, well, I'll do it on one chance. I said, will this give me a chance to get registered as an insurance builder with Suncorp? And he said, I think so. So I thought, okay, that's good enough for me. So I, I ran a project there for 18 months. We did 74 projects in Brisbane. And I wrote a book about what, what you do as a homeowner to recover from flood. And I wrote the book. It was pretty good. From here, Kelly's book became a valuable resource for some, but he struggled to reach a large audience base. The insurance companies started giving that out to their clients because it's got technical stuff in there. And then it just talks about how to do various things, how to get, you know, sanitize the place, how to deal with electrical plumbing, carpentry, what to look for, all this sort of stuff. And it's a very small book. But And then I thought, I don't know what to do with this book because I don't know how to do internet marketing or anything. And um, so I pretty much sat on my website for t 10 years doing nothing. And then in these recent floods, um, I started going out. I went with my daughter and we did some relief work down in Lismore. And then I offered, I put myself out there to do, to do inspections of houses which have been flood damaged because people are there and some of those people have no insurance and they're looking at their house thinking, I think the house is buggered. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, is it a serious, real serious problem or how do we fix this problem? So I just put myself out there to do some inspections. I'm doing three in Mwollombara on this Sunday. And, um, and, and then I thought, now that I understand how to do a bit of marketing, I created a new funnel and I, I put that book out to my list of people, uh, which are, you know, just my legacy list of contacts. I then was interviewed by um, Stuart Zadell, who runs a big property group. He put it out to all his people. It's a free download. And the, the whole thing was just about contributing, putting that book out and if it helps. And so I've got that book for download now. If anyone was interested in that or pass it on to someone who is interested, it's, it's just on my website. Yeah. Could I just make one point on that to whoever's listening? Um, I was in contact just two days ago with a relief center at um, Mwollomba. And I, um, she rang and I said, hey, listen, I'm happy to do more of these inspections. And so she's found two more people. I'm doing those on Sunday. And I said, how's it going there? Because she's, And she said, you know, the need is just as great, but all the volunteers have forgotten about it or they've moved on to the next part of their life, which I understand. I get that. But, you know, I'd just say to people, even though those floods seem a distant and since then we've had things like, you know, unfortunately Shane Warne dying, we've had a war break out and... And most, a lot of people have forgotten that there's people in those centres in Sydney, in uh, Lismore, in Mwollombar, who have been badly flood affected and their lives are still upside down. So I just ask people to remember that that's the case and maybe there's a way in which you could reach out, give some money. You know, don't forget that there's other people doing it tough and there's people doing it really tough. Coming back to Kelly's property development journey, let's take a look at what he would say to himself 10 years ago. I would have said, get the best experience you can, work for someone, get the bet and go as far as you possibly can with that company and accumulate all the knowledge and understanding that that company's got in their sector. You know, I've, in, I've encouraged my daughters to do this. They're both, I've got two daughters who are both lawyers. And I've said, just work for, if you want to work for yourself later on, but go as hard as you can now to get all that accumulation of knowledge and skill 
that has come to that company, understand those processes, develop relationships so that then later on, if you want to pull back and work and develop your own company, you can do that. That's what I'd say to myself. I found that I didn't, that's what I would have done differently is I probably tried to accumulate greater experience at a higher level and maybe even work around the world in construction projects and things. Um, so I would have said that. And I, the other thing I'd say is that, you know, there's lots of bright, shiny things out there. And um, I noticed that with myself, I've been, you know, I could be, say about myself that I've sometimes been attracted by these bright, shiny things, you know, something new. I've done such an array of things. And I look at um, some of my mates who have just stuck to their core business, no matter what that business was, whether it was accounting or whether it was property or whether it was property sales or something, then, you know, cycles have a way of repeating as you just are in a sector for certain, for longer and longer, you build those relationships and networks, you become better at your skill, you become better, you know, wide and widely known, and you can really start to reap the benefits of the longevity as you go further into your career. On the flip side, this is what Kelly is excited for in the future. With the experience I've had and the, this whole thing I have about freedom and contribution, um, I want to coach people in property development and just in getting their mind right to achieve whatever it is they want to do in their life uh, and really you know, see that actually happen on the ground, you know, on, the, on the playing field. And so I'm developing some programs in that way um, to help people and, and just as a download almost from the experience I've had, my whole career has been in property in one form or another apart from two years. And those, the story and the, the confidence that comes from being at a sector and focusing on things for a long time is, you know, it's, it's, it can be a great advantage to younger people as they start off just to guide them and to, to give specific direction. I know that I'm in, I'm in coaching groups and I've been in different sorts of coaching groups for some time. And often, because there's an arrangement of ways to do stuff, I get a bit bamboozled by that because I see all the th- options, opportunities, and I see the risks. And then I can kind of get stuck in, um, what's it called, you know, where you procrastinate. And I, I realise that about myself. Um, sometimes I, I've, I've hired coaches in the past and said, hey, listen, I see all these potential distractions. Forget about it. Just show me what's going to work. Or show me something. Just tell me something, and I'll do it. And that's that's my coaching relationships have worked really well. I mean, I'm having one of those right now, in in this um, you know where I've got a coach, and he says, Dave, forget about all that. We'll do that later. Let's just do this right now. And I get on and work like a Trojan, and get that bit done, and come back and say. Sometimes, Tyrone, it's been interesting because I've been doing things, and particularly in this marketing field, doing stuff that I don't understand, and it's really been a big challenge for me because, as I said before. Most of the things I've done, I've really worked out, understood how building and construction and property development occurs. I've been very comfortable in that field and now I'm doing some marketing um, exercises and I don't know what I'm doing. And I'll tell you what, it's been very, it's been very threatening because I'm doing stuff that I'm committing money, I'm committing time to something, a sector that I'm not quite sure of. And so I would have been bamboozled, completely locked up, probably unable to move forward. Um but so I've got a coach and he says, Dave, we'll handle that later. Just sit down, shut up, do this that we agreed to, just do that. And then we'll assess what the results are. Although it is difficult, Kelly's experience with coaching has been a great experience. Now I'm kind of over the hump and I'm feeling like I actually can navigate my way around a little bit. And I think that getting to your market, you know, I started a podcast a couple of years ago on called Man Shit, spelled Man Shit, S-C-H-I-T. 
And the podcast, the guts of the podcast is to help men get their shit together. And, and you know, so if they have, if men have problems and barriers in their life, and I found that I was, you know, I did 18 versions of the podcast and I've just stopped it for the moment. But the, the podcast was, I was getting great feedback, but my market was very small. And I kind of thought, what's the point of producing the best podcast I can if, my, if I can't get to the marketplace and no one knows about it? Whereas you might have someone who does a half-baked uh, thing, but if they can get to the market, then they're, they're more effective and I want to be effective at a bigger scale. So I halted that podcast for the time being and I just want to learn to get my message out there to, and, and have an effect that you know affects in a positive way. I've learned so much just from what you've said because it's really interesting. It's the mindset, it, it's the... I guess the, the thoughts that, that run through to be able to lead you to where you are. And I mean, you've achieved great success in the property journey and I think that's invaluable knowledge that can be passed on to a lot of people. So yeah, I'm going to say you've been doing really, really well. And, and I guess last question then for you, Dave, is you've achieved a lot as I mentioned. Um, you've shared an amazing story. How much of that success is due to intelligence, skill, hard work and how much of it is due to luck? You know, people always say to me, I'm lucky. I've been lucky through my career. And she says, I don't believe in luck. You know, luck, my definition of luck is where preparation meets opportunity. And she said she was always, always getting prepared. You know, she's asking herself and also asking for some inspiration. What do I need to do next so I can be prepared for the next part of my opportunity? And then for the next part of my life, and then the opportunities would come. But you know, you can't take hold of opportunities unless you're prepared. And I think that that is, that would be, I've taken that on as a, a thing for myself um, where the hard work is definitely part of it. I think that we're living in an age, I reckon, Tyrone, where there's images around there all the time. It's kind of giving us the perception that, and some people are able to do it and good on them, but that you don't have to work and you don't have to work hard. You know, I had a 12-month, I had really had a, I had an 18-month sabbatical up until September of last year when I was traveling, you know, left Los Angeles in March, really didn't work until September the year following. So 18 months and I traveled around the world and all that stuff. But when I got back into the work and I started the relationships, connecting with old colleagues, doing work, getting valued, I thought I'm, I'm enjoying this. I'm really enjoying working. I'm working hard and I'm building these products and things for other people. And so um, I think that... Uh, just tapping into what you, you know, getting a sense of what your purpose is in life is really important. Not that easy to do for some people. It hasn't been easy for me, but I'm I'm eking that out more and more. And as I do, invariably it comes back to me about freedom and just that sense of I'm a free man, you're a free man. We have, you know, we've all of us are free human beings, but we've got to live that way and sort of throw off the shackles that kind of hold us back, whether that be, just other people's perceptions, their limitations of you, your own limitations of yourself, and see ourselves from a, you know as we truly are, which is a bright light of love and joy and power, and 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 where we can contribute to others and really really invest something of our, us into the lives of others. That's what it's about. That's for me. That's been the most satisfying things in my life is in relation to others. It's not just been in the accumulation of things or money at all. It's it's only got a context and only makes sense for me in the context of family and relationships that are valued.
Thank you to David Kelly, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you love the show, perhaps you're now ready to invest your money in a low-risk, high-return deal. If you are, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a lender. There are amazing opportunities in the property market right now and I'm looking for lenders who want to invest their money for as short as 6 months. What are you waiting for? Don't let your money just sit in the bank. To register your interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.